Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Governor Gavin Newsom delivered his third State of the State address last night. His top priorities? Getting kids back to school, getting shots and to arms, getting the economy back on its feet. These are urgent priorities. As it has across the country, the coronavirus pandemic has turned a massive spotlight on our governor's capacity to lead, as well as the ability of California to pivot and survive this crisis, which may explain why this state of the state sounded like a campaign speech. How's he doing? How's California doing? We get the lowdown from a panel of political journalists and from you next on Forum, right after this. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Governor Gavin Newsom delivered this year's State of the State from an empty Dodger Stadium in L.A., serving as a mass vaccination site these days. He looked uncomfortable and distracted, albeit with a smile on his face. He rushed through his copy. What a contrast to his showboating press conferences early in the pandemic. Even with vaccinations finally happening, Newsom is fending off loud critics about health care, school and the economy. Republicans are trying to recall him. If this were a Hollywood movie, the state of the state speech would be a pivotal scene before what exactly? Let's put the question to the co-hosts of KQED's own political breakdown show, Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer, and LA Times columnist Gustavo Ariano. Marisa, why don't we start with you? What, what did you make of last night's speech? Well, I mean, to your point on sort of the optics and delivery uh, beyond the substance, I think it was a little awkward. Um, I think there's been a lot of conversation among folks in the political class as to whether the idea of doing this at an empty stadium was actually kind of pulled off. You know, like, I, I think we've seen this throughout the presidential campaign, too, where, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were in empty rooms or largely empty rooms. And 
on the one hand, it does kind of give that gravity of the situation that we're in with a pandemic. On the other hand, you know, usually these speeches are boisterous. They're interrupted by applause from his supporters on the assembly floor. Um, and it's a very different mood. And so I think there was a little bit of it was a little incongruous, I would say, to see him standing in this empty stadium filled with almost as many seats as Californians who have died of COVID, but also trying to strike this optimistic tone. Um, and then I would also just add that, as you said, it, it almost felt like, you know, when you can watch things online, like at one and a half speed, it kind of felt like that a little bit. Um, he was just going through it, whipping through it so fast. And I think if you were maybe someone who doesn't watch Newsom that much, it might not have seemed as jarring. But as people like us who watch him almost every day and know how comfortable he is speaking off the cuff, it did appear that he was either a little hyped up, like caffeinated or nervous. And, and you know, to be fair, I think we should say, Rachel, like, the governor's been very open about his learning disabilities. He has dyslexia. He does not like reading speeches. And this, so this is not his comfort zone. So that might um, kind of explain it. And and we can get to the, I think the substance of the speech was good, but some of the, the optics were maybe not exactly what he was going for. Gustavo, I guess, as Marisa says, you know, this was an empty stage upon which uh, viewers could sort of uh, project their own feelings about Newsom and how he's doing, how California's doing. Yeah, this, this wasn't about the state of California. This was about the state of Newsom. Uh, Newsom, of course, wants to project. He knows what's ahead of him, uh, probably a recall question on about him on the, on the ballot. So right now, people, sadly, throughout this entire time, we don't want to think about the dead. I thought that was a very powerful move uh, or very powerful gesture, but it's something that most people are not going to care about. Uh, Also, uh, as regards to the substance of what he talked about right now, all people want to know, can I get vaccinated? Or on the other side, just open up the state. Uh, Newsom talking about, oh, we're going to spend $10 billion on infrastructure. We're, we're in the middle of climate change. This is this is a campaign speech. This is not where we're at right now. Obviously, climate change is perpetual, but people do not want to hear about that until there's wildfires. And at least today in Southern California, it rained. I think if it rained probably up in the Bay Area as well. So no one wants to think yep. about climate change right now. Well, Scott, I, I want to get your take on this. But first, first, let's have a, a cut that kind of shows uh, Newsom uh, in this speech uh, responding to those who are calling for him to be recalled. So to the California critics out there who are promoting partisan political power grabs with outdated prejudices and rejecting everything that makes California truly great, we say this. We will not be distracted from getting shots in arms and our economy booming again. This is a fight for California's future. So so what did you hear in that, Scott? Yeah, well, you know, the elephant in the ballpark last night was definitely the recall campaign. And they do appear to have enough signatures, Rachel, to get this thing on the ballot probably in November. And so he never used the word recall, but clearly that's what he was thinking about. And, you know, he had a lot to accomplish last night. He had to sort of acknowledge the pain and the sacrifice, the loss from the pandemic. You know, this is a difficult once in a century event. As he said, there is no pandemic playbook that politicians can turn to. And, you know, he had to recognize that businesses are frustrated, teachers and parents are frustrated. I mean, there's a lot that's gone 
wrong. And he had to embrace that and own that, and he did. But then he had to pivot and say, look, better days are ahead. We've got 11 million vaccines in the arms of Californians after a, a really slow start, I should add. It was one of the slowest in the country. Um, he's got 10% of the vaccines set, set aside for teachers. So I think he's hoping that, you know, by the time this recall actually gets on the ballot, if it isn't, you know, if we vote on it, say, in November, that the pandemic is going to be mostly in the rearview mirror and that people are going to be feeling pretty good that the state has turned the corner. And I think that's, in the end, what he was trying to do last night is say, hey, look, yeah, it hasn't been as quick as we all would like, but we're going in the right direction. Well, you know, accounting for the fact that we've got a garbage truck going in behind me. But, but Scott, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, was Newsom talking to these Republican critics who, who are kind of taking this political moment to try and drag him down? Or, or was he talking to, to Californians about how California is doing during this, this pandemic? And, and if he was talking to Californians, you know, did he get his message across? Well, first, let's be clear. Can anyone remember anything any governor has ever said in a state of the state address? I mean, these are not, <laughs> these are ceremonial, you know, and, and this really was a campaign event as much as anything. I mean, usually these speeches are given before the state legislature in the state capitol because of the pandemic. That did not happen. And yeah, there was some awkwardness. I mean, you just talked about a garbage truck. There were helicopters over Newsom's head. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. it was LA, LA rush hour, you know, and, that, and I think that kind of rattled him a little bit. But no, he was really ultimately speaking, as he will continue to speak, to voters. He's not really going to engage Republicans. At this point, it's reminding voters why they voted for him, why 62% of voters in 2018 chose him. And he's got to remember, he's got to remind them that uh, he, his leadership. Leadership skills are there. He is working. He's, you know, sleeves are rolled up. All those metaphors, uh, because people don't really feel that right now. There has been uh, a dip in his approval rating, and uh, people are kind of wondering if he's up to the job. And he's got to, you know, make sure, as he started to do last night, to to remind them and to convince them really that he is. You know, Gustavo, I'm I'm thinking maybe it's only you know uh, politicos and journalists and journalists who love to fo follow politics who read about that investigation from Capital Public Radio about you know what what appear to be uncomfortable connections between companies donating to the governor and then the preferential treatment they seem to have gotten from the state. Uh, you know, questions about Blue Shield. Uh, is that the kind of stuff that is uh, making a dent in the in the way? the California voters feel about uh, Newsom? If it if things get worse, that'll bubble up. People will care. But uh, again, if by November, if we are back to as normal as we'll ever get, people will forgive that. People will not care about the recall. They'll vote against them. Frankly, though, I really think that what care, I, I think corruption, sadly, is expected in politics. Of course, there's allegations of, you know, loosey-goosey uh, ethics here, not corruption. But what hurt Newsom more than anything, and it will haunt him for the rest of his political career, was him eating at the French Laundry in violation of his own suggestions from the state. I still maintain if he was eating a burrito at El Castellito off of 16th and Mission in San Francisco, no one would have cared. We would have applauded him for eating a, a you know the best burrito in the state. Yeah, and you know supporting well, those a, a are small words business over there, Gustavo. Uh, hey, I'm the guy who wrote the book on Mexican <laughs> food in the United States. Are. El Castellito is it. <laughs> I agree, well, if though, he Rachel, says it is, I mean, uh, it but is Marisa. Amazing. 
Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just thinking about it last night because, you know, we did hear some contrition. Obviously, he's not going to mention French laundry in the speech, but, you know, that I've made mistakes. And I just can't help but think, like, just reflect on having known Newsom and covered him as long as I have. Like, he must regret that dinner so much because it has given so much fire to his critics. Um, And, you know, it's just one of those distractions that, like Gustavo says, I don't know that he'll ever live down. This recall wouldn't have happened if he hadn't done that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, boy, talk about uh, <laughs> indigestion uh, from a fine meal. <laughs> bad choice, bad choice. Marisa, you know, I, I want to ask about, you know, something else that's kind of become a hot-button issue, uh, the questions of equity around the vaccine rollout. Uh, is it your sense, you know, that Californians are are seriously upset with the specifics of it or just frustrated as as we all would be about how slow it seems when we can see the light at the end of the tunnel? You know, I got to say, stepping back, I I do think that um, the state and the feds and and locals after the initial kind of few weeks um, deserve a lot of credit. I mean, we are vaccinating a lot of people in California. I actually think the numbers on the state side that are close to 11 million are are an undercount. They've had some reporting issues. Um, And the state did put out some numbers I was just looking through yesterday around these mass vaccination sites in Los Angeles and Oakland. Um, And what they show is that so let's take two of the hardest hit populations, right? Latinx folks and, and black people. Um, in LA, 3% of those vaccinated at that site so far um, are black. That's about 9% of the county population is black. So that's way underrepresented. Um, for Latinos, they're doing a little better. 40% of the folks who have gotten vaccines at the Dodger Stadium are Latinx, and that's about 48% of the LA County population. Um, here, kind of similar, 4% uh, black uh, vaccines given, 11% of the population at Oakland, 20%, 22 Latinx. So. You know, those are not as bad as some of the numbers, but we just know broadly across the United States that there has been challenges with the question of both, I mean, the technology needed to just get these sites, right? If you are low income, if you are elderly, you may just not have the kind of digital native uh, abilities to to get on these sites and get these vaccines. And then um, one thing the LA Times has done some really great reporting on recently is just the fact that these mass vaccination sites were a great call to get healthcare workers through because most of them have cars. But now we're moving into populations that may not be as mobile, that, as I said, do not have that digital literacy. And so you really need community clinics and other people who have these connections already to be reaching out proactively. And I know that there's some really um, creative solutions that we've seen happen on the ground level. But at this point, I think on the vaccine issue, it, it is a lot about just supply, and obviously we just want supply. to get shots into arms. I'm going to have you pause yep. right there. We are talking about Governor Newsom's State of the State address last night with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent with KQED, Gustavo Ariano, columnist with the Los Angeles Times, and, of course, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. What do you think about the speech? What do you think about where we are right now? Give us a call at 866 or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. This has been a tough year for California. Did you listen to Governor Newsom's State of the State speech last night? Did you hear things that made you feel more confident about where we're all headed? Less confident? Uh, do you think Newsom has the public trust? Join our conversation at 866-733-6786. Once again, now that you're ready, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Scott Schaefer, you know, I... I'm trying to remember where it was uh, you were noting uh, that that uh, Newsom said last night, we propose in this year's budget to invest a record amount in K through 14 education this year. But, you know, uh, that's pretty much already required by Prop 98 funding. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at last year's speech, it was all about homelessness and housing. Uh, you know, things change. And I think one thing this governor has been criticized for, uh, and I think, you know, rightly so, is sometimes overstating what he's done, over-promising over and under-delivering. And I think that that's one of the criticisms that uh, Republicans are making for sure. Um, and, you know, we should point out that these problems that Newsom is encountering right now are really have really come into sharper focus because of, you know, as Gustavo mentioned, that infamous French laundry uh, restaurant uh, with the $12,000 wine tab. Uh, but, you know, those of us who cover the governor have been hearing about these problems for, you know, for more than a year, well over a year, that his office was not particularly well run. There was a lot of infighting. We've seen departure of key staff, including his chief of staff and others. Um, and a lot of legislators have been frustrated, again, before the pandemic about the lack of communication that uh, he has had or his office has had with them on key pieces of legislation. And, you know, Gavin Newsom, if you go back to when he was mayor, he does not have a great reputation for playing well with others. Uh, and some of those issues were playing out uh, and maybe they were exacerbated when he was given emergency powers in the pandemic. And now what you see in the last few weeks is he's really trying to surround himself with Democrats to get all of his uh, legislative leaders and others on the same page so that nobody gets the idea of running against him if this recall qualifies for the ballot. And so at this point, you know, he's trying to make up for some of those shortcomings by uh, keeping his friends uh, or his frenemies close. And Rachel, can I jump in and say it yes, seems to Marisa. be working. I mean, we were on our broadcast last night, um, had Lorena Gonzalez, head of appropriations in the assembly, who, you know, has, has at least behind the scenes, we know as reporters butted heads with Newsom on some things and she's all in. I think, I think you, we, so far there has really not been a crack in the democratic support for Newsom. We've see, saw even Bernie Sanders come out this week, apparently at the urging of, uh, Congressman Ro Khanna to support Newsom and, and speak out against the recall. So I do think that Newsom is lucking out in the sense, or maybe not lucking out, but, you know, playing his cards right in the sense <laughs> that the, the Democrats are really trying to frame this as a Republican attack on a blue state. And the more that people like Rick Grinnell, former Trump advisor, who's t who's talked about getting in the race, um, kind of tie themselves to this, yoke themselves to this, I think the easier it is for Democrats to make that case. Um, and, you know, to Gustavo's point, he's right. I think the French laundry dinner was a turning point. But the bigger thing also was the fact that the judge, um, a, a judge gave recall 
recall supporters many more months to 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 gather these signatures and that when they leverage that with the bad press from the french laundry with the surge in california with um I think a lot of Republicans licking their wounds after the 2020 election, you got the money that they needed to get these signatures. Well, uh, Gustav, I want to hear your thoughts on that as well. But I also want to let our callers into the conversation. Why don't we go now to Paula in San Francisco? Hello? Hello. How are you? Yes. Good. Well, I certainly think that nothing could be more counterproductive right now than to turn against the governor. Now that we have a Democratic senator, Senate, now that we have a Democratic president, uh, we're, you know, picking and choosing issues after what we've seen for four years. I own a very small business. I know the frustration of being shut down. I see in the Mission District where I live, what business owners go through. But these are consequences of something bigger, much bigger. I, I go to the Mission Neighborhood Health Clinic. I'm offered a vaccine because of my age and because I'm at the front lines uh, with a small business. I see the results. I call 311. I get results. This is the most difficult issue-oriented city and state. And we're going to turn against a governor that is getting results. I applied for the grants, the California Relief Grant. I applied for it. I didn't get in on the first round. I didn't get in on the second round. Guess what? Now there's six more rounds and I'm getting feedback that I will be considered for the third. So this is no time to turn against any Democrat trying to get things done. Not in New York, not in San Francisco, not in the state of California. We've been through too much with the Republicans to start, you know, picking at each other. And that's what the Democrats always do. And that's why the Republicans stick together. In spite of what they saw Trump do, they still stuck together. And it's infuriating, infuriating that we're turning against Gavin Newsom at this point. Thank you so much for those comments, Paul. Gustavo, she's talking about that classic circular firing squad, isn't she? You know, <laughs> those of us on the left, we we can't help but try and kill each other. Never mind what's happening over on the right. Grabs in a bucket, the way we call in the Latino community. When one of us tries to succeed, we just pull them back down to where we're at. But this is the thing. You are not seeing this right now the way you did with Davis. That's actually going to be the subject of my next column. I won't give it away too much, but you don't I don't sense the exact uh, bipartisan hatred of Davis. There was, I remember no one. At the, even Davis's supporters really didn't support him. They're just like, oh, well, yeah, you shouldn't vote. But no, you have full throttled, full defense of Newsom. And that's what his speech also gave. Like his speech was not for all Californians. His speech was to remind Democrats, hey, we are California. When you use key words like equity, when you say you're going to give $600 regardless of your immigration status, that's all red meat for both sides. The Republicans are going to despise that, of course, but the Democrats and also people who may be in the middle of the road but care about equity and care about uh, small business loans and whatnot, they're going to see that and say like, okay, you're saying this. Let's see this. So Newsom has to deliver on all of his promises. And if he doesn't, then, yeah, he's toast. But I just don't see that happening. You know, I, I do want to uh, get at a hot button issue where, you know, the governor may be blamed for something that is actually playing out on the local level. Uh, schools. Why don't we hear what Newsom had to say about schools last night? In December, it was not that long ago, in December, as COVID was surging, many schools were contemplating an alarming decision, giving up completely on in-person instruction for the rest of the school year. 
in just a few months since, working together with parents and teachers and school leaders, we've turned the conversation from whether to reopen to when. Uh, Marisa, you want to take a take a hit at that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, there's a lot of blame to go around when it comes to schools and the way that not just California, but I think we have handled this nationally. Um, I was just ca- talking to someone this morning about her frustration, you know, seeing her kids still at home and that we're opening indoor dining. Um, I, I, I think that Newsom and lawmakers... Um, I mean, look, you mentioned Prop 98 before. That's It's true. There's a minimum guarantee in our state constitution for education funding. But to be fair, the legislature and governor just did put an extra $6 billion in 2K through 12 um, to help incentivize reopenings, to help sort of prepare schools to deal with all of the learning loss and mental health crises that have stemmed from this pandemic. Um, I think ultimately... The, the the place where I would offer some criticism of this deal is that if it was going to be this, if it was just going to be a money, a carrot based approach, not a stick based approach, why did it take so long? You know, but there's also questions, I think, about what we knew about state revenues and whether they had the money prior to this. Um, you know, I do think that Newsom has been in a tough spot this whole time. I think when you listen to criticisms leveled by people like Kevin Faulkner, a former Republican San Diego mayor who's running against Newsom in the recall, um, he makes some decent points about Newsom being close with school unions and not wanting to take them on, but then also kind of wants to have it both ways. He says that he's not going to, um, you know, override collective bargaining rights. So I don't think anyone had a silver bullet here. I think the missed opportunity for the governor was probably not not playing a more at least public um, kind of strong leadership role earlier. Um, but again, I, I think we can't say enough. If if kids are back in their chairs in August, September, if most of the state is vaccinated, if we're reaching herd immunity, and if kids, as a lot of epidemiologists think, you know, older kids can get vaccinated as early as this summer, um, some of this may just sort of, you know, f- float into the distant memory and we'll be on to the next crisis. On to the next crisis. Oh, we're talking about <laughs> Governor Newsom's state of the By state address last night. <laughs> wildfires. Yes, no, that's coming up too, Gustavo. But first, why don't we go to, to Brian in Livermore? Hi there. Hi, Brian. Are you there? Can you hear me okay? Yes. First and foremost, thank you very much for taking my call. I'm a longtime Californian, and I live here in Livermore with two young children. And I, I just want to preface, I am not on, on the right side or a Republican. I'd really just appreciate politicians sending kids back to school and looking at our community. It's been extremely devastating having one in four restaurants go out of business for small business owners. With vaccinations now open to the public, it's time. Kids have suffered psychologically from this so much, and it's really time for politicians just to to help us get back to business as Americans and help us because it, I, I know by serving our country as a Marine active duty that, you know, this, this community needs to get back and, and be free. Thank you for your service, Brian. Uh, Gustavo, I, it does feel like a lot of people in the state are so ready to open up. Uh, it, it, do you think, politically speaking, that Newsom is uh, is more concerned about that or more concerned about making sure that we're following what public health officials tell us to do? 
he needs to thread that line. And I think he's tried in a very ham-fisted approach. I frankly think right now he's rushing it just because he does realize that there's a lot of people who want to open up. And the longer this delays, the more likely they're going to uh, succeed for the recall. And I totally hear it. I know about the business devastation. My wife, she runs a market in Delhi down here in Orange County. So I have seen specifically how the, you know, how these shutdowns have affected her bottom line and affected the bottom line of our fellow friends who are small business owners. But at the same time, I also, you know, I, I think a lot of the people who say, let's just open up and just to hell with the consequences, they are not affected by the actual consequences of coronavirus. I, what frustrates me is that people don't realize what a virus is. A virus mutates. A virus can get very nasty immediately. You could not have just had willy-nilly the way uh, the right loves to celebrate. Oh, you know, they had it all open in Florida or they had it all open in Texas or or the best case, the example of Sweden, and yet they don't tell the true numbers of what's going on in Sweden. So Newsom, you know, there was no way Newsom was going to emerge from this unscathed. I think, though, that now he realizes, like, I might be in trouble. But again, it's it. What matters now, right now, isn't how fast he opens up, but how people are going to be by the summer. If if, if we're still in the same place by the summer, that's when he's going to be in trouble. You know, I I want to get to something really uh, big about. Uh, uh, the unemployment problems we're having with the EDD, the Employment Development Department. Sharon writes, the real scandal of Newsom's administration is the situation at the EDD, the billions that have been taken from California's taxpayers and the thousands of people uh, who's deserved, it looks like we lost the rest of it, uh, <laughs> who, who deserve those employment benefits. Uh, Scott, you know, you, you mentioned this before, there, there are systemic problems in state government uh, that the pandemic revealed uh, to, to us all. Yeah, I mean, the EDD crisis uh, debacle, nightmare, whatever you want to call it, is really a, a black eye. But it's not just on Newsom. I mean, this system that has been used not just by EDD, but also by DMV and uh, Medi-Cal, they have very old uh, software and computers and systems that just aren't up to the task. And numerous governors have been told about this, and it only really came to light during the pandemic when the unemployment rate shot up the way it did. Uh, he didn't mention EDD last night in his State of the State speech. You can be sure we're going to hear more about it uh, as this recall campaign uh, unfolds. Um, and we're probably also going to hear about it when Julie Sue, uh, who was in charge uh, of uh, labor in California, she's now been nominated by uh, Joe Biden to be the Deputy Secretary of, of Labor for the U.S. And that is certainly going to come up in her uh, confirmation hearing. But but, uh, yeah, there are a lot of systemic problems, a lot of deferred maintenance, whether it's roads, computer systems. I mean, California spends an awful lot of money, uh, and you can't always see what you're getting because a lot of it uh, is going to things like pensions and uh, salaries and those sort of things. But, you know, when you're the governor of a state as diverse as California, and don't forget Donald Trump won almost half the counties in California. Now, those are very sparsely populated counties. Yeah, but, you know, say. you're going to but but, you know, the point is there's just a, a wide diversity. There's anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers and, you know, all of that stew of political uh, diversity. Well, let's go to another call. Why don't we talk to Joanne in Sonoma? Hi, Joanne. Hi. Hello. Hi. Any thoughts? Yes, I do. I think it's easy to forget the importance of Newsom and, and the really public and active position he took at the beginning of the virus. We were all freaked out. We were 
even those of us who have some knowledge of this field, this is a totally new experience, a totally new um, set of scientific concerns. The national leadership certainly wasn't giving us any direction or any credibility or any information that we could use. And Newsom, to his credit, came out daily at lunchtime, did his press conference, gave us faith that he was reaching out, that he was being created, that he understood the science, or at least some of those around him understood the science. He was talking about PPE before we even knew what it was. He was talking about the necessity of getting support for hospitals, for getting um, uh, support for staff in the hospitals. He was talking about public-private partnerships. His ability to get the people off that cruise ship and not cause any... uh, not cause or not to support, um, contribute to any deaths either for passengers or the emergency responders, um, are things that we're all ignoring now. He was he was an anchor for us and many, many, many of my friends during that news hour for, I don't know, for a month, two months in the beginning of the virus. So it's easy for us now to look back and say, gee, this didn't go perfectly was really critical to our psychological, and I think most people admit it, their psychological state of mind to know that there was somebody out there who was really talking to them about the seriousness of this virus and was doing things um, to to help alleviate circumstances. Thank you so much for for those thoughts, uh, Joanne. Uh, Marisa, any thoughts to follow? Yeah, I mean, I think Joanne makes a good fault, a good point, which kind of brings home to Roos the point we've been making, which is how short political memories can be and how if some of these problems are cleared up in the coming months, you know, Newsom won't be in the same situation. I think she's absolutely right. I mean, I, I actually did a very deep dive into kind of how California handled this compared to a state like Florida. And yes, there were missteps. Not everything was perfect. But I do think that Newsom did take the reins early. He showed leadership. He showed um, resolve. And 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 I think if you talk to epidemiologists and other experts, they believe that those early decisions to shut down did save lives. Um, and I think it's important to note, too, like this has been such a challenge for so many reasons. I mean, one of them was just the entire lack of leadership, the real abdication of leadership by President Trump and much of his administration, you know, the the silencing of scientists and 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 really understanding in hindsight how important messaging is in public health. And I do think Newsom tried to step into that void as much as possible, even when they weren't getting the kind of resources that they needed from the feds. Um, and the other thing is, and Newsom talks about this a lot, is just <laughs> well, the, the we're about to go into a okay. break. Uh, but but yes, how soon we forget uh, what was happening at the federal level or not happening at the federal level. We're talking with Marisa Lagos, Gustavo Ariano, and Scott Schaefer about Governor Newsom's state of the state address last night, and indeed the state of the state, California. What's your take on how we're doing, how Newsom is doing? Give us a call at eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven. You can also email your questions to forum at kqed.org. But whatever you do, stay with us. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking about the state of California. No conversation, especially one that's an hour long, would be complete if we didn't discuss climate change. And a lot of our listeners have been letting us know they want to hear our panelists talk about that next. Barbara writes, Californians need to discuss climate all year long. If we discuss it only as fires burn, all is lost. Gustavo, I put that to you. Yeah, I I totally agree. I love to garden. We are in the midst of yet another drought. That is not cool for my plants. That is not cool for the future of our state or the world. But right now, the majority of folks do not care about that. You know, people who care about climate change right now have that privilege. Most folks, sadly, they're caring about putting their kids in school or putting them back in school. They're caring about unemployment. They're caring about supporting uh, their family members or their friends who have businesses. They're also caring about the actual effects of coronavirus, if they lost someone or whatever. And and for better or for worse, climate change does not address any of those concerns that coronavirus has wrought upon us. If anything, I mean, I think the worst thing about coronavirus is that it is just the worst distraction to have about the actual issues that face California at the worst possible time. But now, you know, that's been the reality Newsom has to deal with. Uh, do you think, Scott, that, that he's describing what's actually happening politically and I suppose environmentally? Well, I think California certainly has been at the lead uh, of clean air and uh, green energy goals and reality in terms of policies and incentives to go uh, move away from fossil fuel. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, you, a, a state can maybe set an example, but we can't do it alone. There has to be national leadership, which, you know, certainly was not uh, present on climate change uh, the last four years. We spent most of that time suing the federal government as they tried to undo some of the policies that California had put in place uh, on climate change. I think there's consensus largely in California that that, that what we uh, are doing and trying to do with uh, fuel efficiency and uh, carbon emission standards, that that's really the right way to go. And importantly, it's shown that you don't have to choose between the economy and the environment, that you can you can grow uh, an industry with a lot of good jobs uh, that, don't, uh, that aren't uh, dependent on coal and uh, fossil fuel. And Rachel, I mean, it it is important to note that, you know, we're talking about the sort of performative part of politics here. Um, There are still bills moving through the legislature, a lot of priorities in the governor's proposed budget that deal with these things. And I do think that the state is getting a better partner in the feds now that there's a Democrat in the White House um, who, you know, is (laughs) besides the party, just not saying things like that we need to rake the forest floors. So, you know, I, I do think sometimes we in the political media make it sound like government can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And while maybe school districts can't, <laughs> it does appear that, that state leaders are trying to still tackle these problems. And some of these bills are actually bipartisan. So I, I will throw that out there. Well, you mentioned schools. Why don't we go to a phone call about that with Rebecca in Oakland? Um, yes. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to push back a little bit on the idea that Newsom has kind of done everything he can in order to open schools. Um, California is currently 50th in the nation, dead last, in terms of opening schools and putting kids first. Newsom could have 
mandated schools open, like many governors have, including many Democratic governors. And he hasn't done that. All the while, his kids are in school, are going to to school in person, uh, private school, and they have been since, I think, November. And so a lot of parents, even, you know, many Democratic parents are feeling incredibly frustrated and betrayed by the fact that he has not really put kids first because he could be doing much more than what he's doing. Thank you so much for that, Rebecca. Who who wants to take that on? Well, I don't think I said he did everything he could have. I think I was raising the issue if he could have done more sooner. So that I I, I hope that wasn't misunderstood. I agree that more could be done. I think the caller might be oversimplifying some things in the sense of legal agreements, different, I mean, local control. I, you know, nobody, I think the problem is a lot of parents would have liked to see the governor step in and mandate schools open. I don't know that that would have gotten traction in the legislature among Democrats or Republicans, um, because you still see this desire to maintain a lot of the the local control. Um, and it, But absolutely, I mean, one point that one of the Republican lawmakers made last night on our uh, you know, show was that he did mandate the closure of schools last year. And I think the state could have done more sooner to take a leadership role to maybe force some issues and to also say we are raising our mandate. You know, we're not like we're not going to be the ones standing in the way. I mean, it, this is an entirely complicated issue. And I absolutely understand the caller's frustration as somebody with two young children. Yeah, Rachel, I would also add that, uh, you know, like it or not, unions are very powerful in California, especially among Democrats. And the CTA, the California Teachers Association, has not moved as quickly as the I think even the governor has wanted to. I think he's been a little reluctant maybe to push them, uh, which has been frustrating, I think, to him and many others. But, you know, Republicans are fond of saying that unions have too much influence. But if if you look back to the last time we had a Republican governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger went to war with unions, uh, the nurses in particular, and they mobilized and they cut them down to size. I mean, you have to be able to work with what's there. And uh, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, uh, you know, you do have to deal with the situation as it is rather than what you wish it were. And can I just say one other thing? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I think unions get a lot of pushback and the CTA is powerful, but the CTA itself was the not the one at the local level negotiating. And I got to say, watching my local school board in San Francisco, I mean, I think that, that a lot of um, stuff has kind of been shuffled off on the union. But at the end of the day, the district and the superintendent and then the school boards in all of these communities, the thousands we have across the state are the ones where the buck really stops with. And I, you know, in San Francisco, we're just now inspecting schools to, to physically reopen them to make sure ventilation and other thing is safe. Why wasn't that done 10 months ago? That has nothing to do with the teachers union. So and Rachel, oh, yeah. sorry, <laughs> I was going to say to Rebecca's <laughs> point, you know, she I don't want to miss the point she made about his kids being in private school. And I I think that is a charge that Newsom has encountered, not just with his kids, but also in eating at the French Laundry, you know, at a time when he was telling everybody to, to stay home. Uh, and so there is kind of, a, you know, a hypocrisy double standard issue with Gavin Newsom that he's going to have to respond to. I want to run through a few uh, politically focused comments. Uh, this one from Kimberly. I am a Democrat. I do not support a recall, but the governor needs to be called out for major failures with EDD and awarding a contract for vaccine distribution to an insurance carrier. Marv writes, the Republicans seem to always talk about cutting government programs. My question is, have Republicans said what 
pandemic programs they would cut. Another listener writes, God help us if we vote in a GOP governor. Look at who our GOP congressmen are. Trump supporters like Nunez and McCarthy, or Nunez, I should say. Uh, Newsom has made errors, but overall his handling of the pandemic and wildfires, along with keeping California in the lead as far as the economy, environment, equity, and other progressive ideals are more important than any complaints from these GOP to recall opportunists. So it sounds like we're having just a, a massive agreement fest here on the show. I, am I wrong, Gustavo? I, I do not see... Look, the people who do not, do not like Newsom do not like him at all. But again, Californians, we forget. So to the parent who to the parents who are frustrated and feel that their kids are psychologically scarred after a year of coronavirus, I do not have children, but I do have nephews and all my cousins have kids as well. So I know their frustrations as well. But once those kids get back into school, again, it all depends on us getting back to a semblance of normalcy. And normalcy is having kids in classrooms, having people being able to eat out. As long as that happens, people are going to say, recall what? I'm supposed to be angry about something that happened six months ago or a year ago. Yeah, I don't care. Everything Life's fine for me now. And that's the other important thing. The, you know, the, the 2003 recall was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with someone like Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who back then could uh, appeal to people of all uh, political persuasions. The Republicans have none of that now. Everyone, and especially in this hyper-partisan reality, what? Someone like Elon Musk, he has a lot of people who hate him. Someone like Kanye West, no. There is no, maybe Tom Hanks. If Tom Hanks ran... <laughs> <laughs> then he would win. But that's about it. And Tom Hanks is not going to run. Yeah, that's a good point, Marisa. Well, I, you know, one of the points I was going to get to earlier when I, I keep running up on the breaks, Rachel, but um, <laughs> was right. was the question of, you know, the existing kind of challenges that this state faced coming into this pandemic. And um, when you look at, say, a, a city like Los Angeles, a county like Los Angeles, and just how hard they've been hit, um, largely because of existing issues of poverty of people in, you know, essential workers, crowded households, multifamily households. Um, and then you look at Bob Watcher at UCSF was tweeting last night about how much better San Francisco has done. Um, and and the fact that if, you know, the, the death rates here in terms of per capita um, were the same nationally, we would have, you know, there would be 364,000 Americans still alive. And so... I think, you know, one of the things that Newsom is always going to run up against and anyone who's governing this state is, is just how big and diverse and challenging it is and how what somebody up in, you know, Yolo County cares about or or needs is not going to be the same as somebody in, you know, the Valley in L.A. or, you know, whatever. So I think... I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to cover. It's a hard thing to govern. And sometimes um, we we you know, you have to kind of dig a little deeper to look at these issues and figure out like on EDD, what's what's Newsom's fault? What should he have done in the past year? And what is kind of a broader infrastructure problem that we could have you know solved a decade ago? We're talking about Governor Newsom's State of the State address last night with Gustavo Arellano, columnist with the L.A. Times, Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, and Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Uh, we, What's your take on how Governor Newsom is doing? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Uh, why don't we take a call now from Frank in Pacifica? Yeah, good morning. Um, great show. Thank you, guys. I just want to comment that um, progressives in California who care about the environment have a real hard time with Governor Newsom. 
Um, it could be the case that a Republican wouldn't do much worse than what Newsom is doing. I appreciate the comments earlier that Newsom was really smart and perhaps lucky to lock up a unified uh, Democratic Party behind him so he gets no challenger. But if uh, Javier Becerra, for instance, hadn't been drafted by the Biden administration, I'm certain he would be uh, highly preferred over Newsom if there was a real race coming up. I'll stop there. Thank you so much. Any, any thoughts on that, Scott? Well, I, I doubt that Gavin Newsom thinks of himself as lucky. I mean, if you consider everything he's had to face over the last couple of years, it's been everything but, you know, locusts and floods. You know, he's had everything. Don't wildfire. even say the word, Scott. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. But, Don't uh, like. Don't say earthquake. But, uh, right, exactly. There's always something looming out there. But, yeah, I think um, I, I agree with Frank that uh, he, I wouldn't say lucky, but he's certainly working to use the goodwill that he has with fellow Democrats. I mean, if, if you're gonna, if you're a Democrat and you think of running, you're only gonna do so, A, if Newsom looks weak, like he's vulnerable, which, you know, it doesn't really, it's a little too soon to say, but the polls uh, that we've seen most recently show that only 36% of folks really support the recall. Um, and, you know, as to somebody like Javier Becerra, I don't think anybody who wants to have a future in California politics is gonna run there's so much to, to lose. And, and I think if were, if somebody were to jump in, it would, might be somebody like former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa, who, uh, you know, isn't close to Newsom, isn't really part uh, tight with the party apparatus. Uh, but at, at this point, I think you'd, any Democrat of stature would be kind of foolish to run uh, and risk, you know, so much if this recall loses. Rich writes, assuming that a Republican surfaces that I can tolerate, I will vote to remove Newsom for two reasons. Number one, the state has failed to have a plan for vaccination that does not change every five minutes, depending on what union or other represented group gets to him to move me back further and further in line. And number two, I would not miss a chance to lessen the impact of a Democrat-controlled legislature. A supermajority has created a tax state that is running a lot of us out of here. Uh, so, you know, that those are, are statements, Scott, that kind of resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for a healthy and functional two-party two -party system where the two parties actually work together on things because, uh, you know, as we've seen sometimes in Congress, when things are passed on a partisan basis, they don't have the staying power uh, that they would have if you had support from both sides of the aisle. Uh, but, you know, in California, the Republican Party has really, uh, or I shouldn't say the Republican Party, because I think that they have tried to diversify the kinds of candidates that they have. But, you know, some individuals in the party and Legislators in Sacramento have really embraced Donald Trump, who is extremely unpopular in California. And so it doesn't help the brand, the Republican brand. And I think they're hoping to use the recall to maybe rebrand themselves a little bit, uh, soften the face of the GOP. Uh, but that's a that's a really tough lift, heavy lift, when you see that Joe Biden got five million more votes than Donald Trump in the November election. And going back to Arnold Schwarzenegger's win, Schwarzenegger was not your typical Republican. A lot of Republicans had mixed feelings about <laughs> having him represent their party. I'll say. I mean, they by the time he left office, they had no use for him whatsoever. He was a rhino, you know, a Republican in name only. Uh, and he was, to this day, is, you know, reviled by big parts, most, most of the party that saw him as backing away from his pledge not to raise taxes. He left the state in kind of a mess with debt that Jerry Brown had to fix. So I don't think 
there's any love lost for Arnold Schwarzenegger. If anything, I think Democrats have really embraced him because of his uh, recent comments about uh, the far right and white supremacists and so on. I don't want to uh, end this hour without bringing up a very important issue, the, the one of inequality. Uh, Newsom did reference it in the speech last night. Why don't we hear a little bit about that? We entered this pandemic with a care economy suffering from decades and decades of underinvestment, a societal scourge that the first partner has shined a light on. Working women, particularly women of color, earning only a fraction of what their male counterparts earn widening gaps between the haves and the have-nots. California's most acute pre-existing condition remains income inequality. Well, Marisa, I mean, you know, it, I think this pandemic has really shown not just in California, but, uh, you know, across the country and indeed across the world, uh, that the economy is moving in two different directions depending on where you stand. And, you know, if you're on the bottom leg of that so-called K, the, you know, the K recovery that uh, economists refer to, uh, things are not going well for you. No. And I mean, this is one where if you look at the gamut of how COVID-19 has impacted communities, um, communities of color, low income have just been hit across you know, in every way possible, right? From a health perspective, overrepresented in deaths and cases and, and serious illnesses, um, economically, it's 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 really staggering. And and you know, Newsom made the point last night that this is uh, this is what he called a pre-existing condition. And and I mean, he's right. Uh, the LA Times had a story this week looking at Florida versus California, and I think one of the most interesting things there uh, that they cite is that. More than half, 55% of Californians live in counties with what's called a high social vulnerability score. Um, this is a measure of how severely a disease outbreak could affect a region. And, and I think that, you know, those were things that Newsom came in hoping to tackle before this pandemic. Um, you are not able to get at those structural issues when you're in the middle of a crisis. And so it is um, a challenge. It is one the state I know at least is talking about. I mean, I do think we have to give the governor and state leaders credit for, even if they might have done it sooner, this, you know, setting aside 40% of vaccines for communities um, that are the poorest and, and the most likely to be harmed by COVID. Um, but this is not an issue that is going to stop once we get through this pandemic and recession. Um, and it is certainly, you know, not one that I think, um, if we're talking about a recall, that is going to be the focus of Republicans, per se. I mean, they, they talk about it, but it's not, I, I haven't seen um, a lot of kind of solutions that are targeting these issues from from some of the candidates who have stepped up so far. Well, Marisa, we're going to have to give you the last word there. I, I want to thank all of you, everyone who's called in, everyone who sent in comments. This has been such a fascinating discussion about uh, the state of California, really, where we are, where we're going. Uh, we've been talking with Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer, uh, co-hosts of KQED's own Political Breakdown podcast. Highly recommend listening to that. And of course, LA Times columnist Gustavo Ariano. Stay with us. We're listening to Forum and another hour of Forum is next with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera, 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.